Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today's episode is going to be yet another solved case for my Curious Case series. If you have any cases that you want covered on... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This channel, then jump over to requestacase.com and send in your submissions there. Before we go any further, make sure you're subscribed to this channel and that you've hit that bell icon so you don't miss out on any future Curious Case episodes just like this one. I also just quickly want to thank you all for your support recently. It's made quarantine feel a heck of a lot less lonely, so thank you. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. The 14 years between 1986 and 1990 saw tragedy after tragedy strike the Pandy family in Brussels, Belgium. During this period, six members of the family mysteriously disappeared without a trace. And it wouldn't be until 16 years after the first disappearance that the Belgian police would begin to learn the horrific and dark secrets that the Pandy family were hiding. In today's episodes, we're going to be uncovering the truth of what really happened at the Pandy residence in the late 80s and discussing one of the worst serial killers in modern Belgian history. Andres Pandy was born on the 1st of June 1927 in the city of Chop, which is now part of Western Ukraine. The history of the city is a bit complicated as due to its close proximity with the country of Hungary, it passed between the then Slovakia and Hungary often. At the time of Andres' birth in the city, I believe the city was Slovakian, but it did then become Hungarian again for a brief stint. But despite all of this, Andres' official nationality was actually Hungarian, and for the purpose of this episode, we're just going to stick with his official nationality, despite him technically being a Slovakian native. Both of Andres' parents were also Hungarian, so I imagine this played a role in his official nationality. Now, not all too much is known about Andres's early life, but what we do know is that he actually became a church counsellor at a church in Hungary. And it was as he was working at this church in 1957 at the age of 30 that he met a woman called Ilona Soares. The pair hit it off right away, and after a degree of courting from Andres, they eventually became engaged. The couple married the same year they met in 1957 and the ceremony took place at a time of national unrest for Hungary. The Hungarian Revolution had broken out the year before, with the people revolting against the Hungarian People's Republic and the Soviet policies that they were imposing on Hungarians. 
The revolution itself only actually lasted about a month, but the fallout of it left a lot of political unrest in the country. And as a result of this unrest and due to a Russian invasion, both Andres and his newlywed wife fled Hungary to the Flanders area of the city of Brussels in Belgium. Andres quickly found work in a part of Brussels that was popular with the Hungarian Protestants that had fled Hungary after the revolution. He continued his religious career and actually became a pastor for the local community. And that's pastor as in the religious pastor, not pastor as in the food pastor. I know I say it like it sounds the same in both, but it's pastor as in, you know, the religious pastor, not Tanglatelli. Andres also works as a religious teacher of sorts at the local Protestant church. In 1958, the couple brought their first child into the world, a daughter, who they named Agnes. They then had two more children together, both sons, in 1961 and then 1966, who were named Daniel and Zoltan. Everything seemed to be going well for the young family, despite the uncertainty at the start of their relationship. Andres was in a reputable and reliable job, and they had three beautiful children to raise together. The family was seen to be one of propriety. You see, Andres was a very smart and clever businessman and he had actually founded an organization called YDNAP which provided foster care for children who had become orphaned due to the revolution that had been occurring in Romania at the time. The organization would be paid for each child that was fostered and it soon became a very profitable venture for Andres. They earned enough money to buy two houses in Brussels and more property back in their homeland in Hungary. But all that came crashing down in 1967, when Ilona discovered evidence that Andres had been seeing other women. This was an ultimate betrayal for Ilona. Infidelity went against her core beliefs, and she couldn't forgive Andres for cheating on her. And so Ilona divorced Andres due to his infidelity, taking the couple's sons, Daniel and Zoltan, with her. This left Andres to look after their firstborn child, Agnes. However, this is where the case begins to go south very quickly, and almost half a century of abuse and murder would begin. Andres was seen as a very reputable, trustworthy and law-abiding religious figure in the community, and in the public eye, he made sure to uphold that reputation. But at home, it was sadly a very different story. When Agnes turns 13 years of age, the father, who she loved and looked up to, turns into a monster from her worst nightmares. Now, it's unclear what exactly happened between Agnes and Andres, but what we do know is that when Agnes was at the age of 13 in 1971, and now 44-year-old Andres and beloved pastor in the community began to sexually molest her, his own daughter. These paedophilic sexual acts would quickly morph from molestation to incestuous sexual intercourse. This paedophilic incestuous relationship continued into the early 70s, even as Andres had begun to see other women. It is believed that this sexual abuse occurred throughout the duration of this case. Andres, through the use of dating services and using a fake name and fake job description, continued to meet up and date other women in the hopes of finding a new wife. 
but his efforts were to no avail. And by the end of the 70s, Andrus frequently travelled to and from Hungary in the search for a new woman, and he, he did this by posting in the Lonely Heart columns of Hungarian newspapers. On one of his trips to Hungary, Andrus met a married woman called Edith Fintor, who had actually answered one of his dating advertisements in the local newspaper. Edith was a Hungarian national and actually had three children with her husband when Andres had met her. But her marital status didn't stop Andres from pursuing her, and it wasn't long before Andres and Edith had travelled to Belgium with Edith's three children and had gotten married. It's unclear whether Edith had divorced her husband before her marriage with Andrus, but I presume that to have been the case. They had actually waited until Andrus and Ilona's divorce had gone through, and soon after, Andrus began to tell friends of Ilona that she had returned to Hungary with their children Daniel and Zoltan but it would later emerge that they had never returned. We'll come back to this later in this episode. Andres, now living with Edith and her three daughters, Tundi, who was eight years old, Tamia, who was 15 years old, and Andrea, who was seven, continued his incestuous sexual relationship with his eldest daughter, Agnes. Andres and Edith officially got married in 1979, and together they had two more children, a son and a daughter, who they named Andres Jr. and Rika. By 1984, Andres had begun to grow bored of his incestuous sexual relationship with his now 26-year-old daughter Agnes, and he moved on to his stepdaughter Tamia, who was now 20 years old. Though it wouldn't be long after Andres had started raping Tamia that she fell pregnant with his child. Scared and with nowhere to turn to, Tamir confessed to her step-sibling Agnes what had happened, but Agnes didn't believe her at all. Agnes told Tamir that she was simply lying and that she had probably used a towel that Andrus had um, ejaculated onto uh, to impregnate herself. Outraged at Tamir's claims, Andrus, who I believe had been told about Tamir's confessions by Agnes, actually sent Tamir to one of Andrus's other houses, a house where Agnes was now living alone. Tamir had been sent into a monster's lair. Once Tamir and Agnes were alone in what the authorities would later determine to be a fit of rage and jealousy that Andres had moved onto Tamir, though I believe it was also at the command of her father Andres, Agnes took an iron bar, dragged Tamir into the basement, and then she repeatedly bludgeoned Tamir in an attempt to murder her and get rid of the problem. Fortunately, something startled Agnes during her vicious attack, which gave enough time for Tamir to escape. She had suffered very serious wounds, and concerned for the well-being of her unborn child, she rushed to a nearby hospital where she was hospitalized. When she was questioned, by the authorities as to what had exactly happened to her, she told them that she had been abused. But for some reason, the authorities refused to investigate it and dismissed her claims. Fortunately, Tamir's unborn baby had miraculously survived the attack, and she later gave birth to a son who she named Mark. But Tamir's mother Edith was very and understandably confused. Tamir hadn't been seeing anyone at the time she had become pregnant, and Tamir had refused to tell her who the father of her baby was. 
that was until 1986. Tamiya finally confessed to her mother Edith who the true identity of her baby's father was, Andrus Pandy. Edith's husband. And Edith didn't for one second doubt her eldest daughter's confession to her. She believed her completely and she was not happy in the slightest. Soon after telling her mother this, Tamia fled Belgium, fearing for her and her baby's life to Canada, where she stayed with relatives. She would later actually fly back to Hungary to start a new life. Unfortunately, she managed to escape the horrors that would unfold in the Pandy family. Edith confronted her husband about what Timia had told her, and their arguments were very intense and ferocious. It got so bad, in fact, that Andrus decided to send Agnes and her stepsister Tundi on a short holiday to the Belgian seaside so they could get away from it all. Andrea, who was the youngest child, had stayed in the house so that Edith could continue to look after her. But when Agnes and Tundi returned from their holiday, both Andrea and Edith were nowhere to be seen. Andrus told his daughter Agnes, don't look for them they're not coming back. Their sudden disappearance didn't go unnoticed by people outside of the family, however, and when the Belgian police came to the Pandy household to find out where they had gone, Andres told the police that Edith had run away with Andrea to Germany to be with a new lover. Andres even pulled out a telegram from Edith to back up his story, though, as I'm sure you've probably guessed, this telegram was fake and Edith and Andrea hadn't actually run away to Germany. They had, in fact, been murdered. Then, in 1988, 20 years after Andrus and his first wife, Ilona, had initially separated, Andrus invited Ilona and his two sons, Daniel and Zoltan, to his house to try and reconnect and rekindle their relationship. Or at least, that's what he told them. You see, despite Andres telling people that his first wife had returned to Hungary, she hadn't. She'd actually stayed in Belgium up until 1988, looking after and raising her two sons. But when they came over to Andres's house, they would never leave again. Andres and Agnes brutally murdered Ilona, Daniel and Zoltan. From what I can understand, they shot them with a shotgun and then dismembered them before placing their remains in bags and leaving them outside a local slaughterhouse. The slaughterhouse then incinerated the remains. More questions began to come Andres's way as to where exactly Elona and their two sons had now gone, and he began to tell everyone that they had moved to France. But then, for some reason, his story changed and he began to tell people that they had actually moved to South America. Andres and Agnes had so far murdered six family members, but the murders didn't end here. In 1990, Andres sent Agnes and her two younger stepchildren, Andres Jr. and Rika, on another holiday, leaving the now 18-year-old Tundi alone with Andres. Tundi had remained with Andres despite both her mother and her sister going missing years before, and unfortunately it was as Agnes and the other children were on holiday that she met her gruesome end. When Agnes returned, Andres told Agnes that Tundi had become disturbed, and so he had decided to send her away to go live with another family who could look after her better. But of course, this wasn't the case, and Agnes knew from the instant she realised Tundi was gone, 
that Andrus had murdered her. Agnes had actually begun working in the map department of the Albert First Royal Library, and she had stayed completely silent about the murders and abuse that she had witnessed and been a part of. That was until 1992 two years after Tundi was murdered by her father. I'm not exactly sure why exactly it took her so long to realise that she should probably tell the authorities what had happened, but on one fateful day in 1992, Agnes walked into a Belgian police station ready to confess it all. She was described by the officers she spoke to as being a lacklustre young woman with blank, unblinking eyes behind nondescript spectacles. Agnes told the police that she had been sexually abused by her father since the age of 13 and that he had turned her into a sex slave and she further told the police that she was concerned for the well-being of her stepmother Edith and her stepsister Andrea. Agnes told investigators that her father had told her to not look for them and that they were not coming back after she had returned from that holiday. However, if you've seen my three-part series on the Mark to True case, you'll know that the 90s was really a time of police incompetence and police corruption. The investigators didn't really care for Agnes's claims. They believed that she just had daddy issues and that she was making the claims up. But still, they had to form an investigation, and so they went straight to Andrus to question him. You have to remember that Andrus was a very reputable pastor in the community who appeared to be entirely devoted to God, and the investigators already knew that he operated an organization that fostered children from Romania, so they had a bias of inner and a bias of his positive and good reputation in the community from the moment that they began to speak with him. Though Andres had been preparing for the day that the police would come knocking. When questioned about the whereabouts of his wife and stepdaughter, he told the authorities that they had simply returned to Hungary, and he even pulled out a stack of letters that had allegedly been written by them to back up his story. The letters had stamps from Israel, Miami, Brazil, and of course, Hungary. Satisfied with Andres's story and evidence, and despite there already having been a previous investigation into the whereabouts of his first wife, the police left Andres's house, apologised for wasting his time, and closed the case. That was until 1997, when the Mark to True case became very much public knowledge, and the police's incompetence and corruption was thrust into the media spotlight. In an effort to save face, investigators began to go through old cases to see if there had been any other disappearances similar to the ones in the Mark to True case. And that was when they stumbled upon the closed case that Agnes had reported. The investigators brought Agnes back into the police station to ask her more questions. Some sources claim that they actually arrested her and then uh, the following events happened, but some other sources say that they brought her into questioning first, so I'm just gonna go with what makes more logical sense. It doesn't make sense that they just arrest her with, with, without the, the events that are about to follow. Um, but yeah, so they brought her in for questioning nonetheless, and this is when she truly reveals everything. She told the police, 
I'm going to tell you how we killed five people. The following extract is taken from crimelibrary.com. Her tale was one of unimaginable horror, a grand tale of murder and rape and depravity. She talked of how her father, a bookish churchman, had seduced her when she was just 13. Raped her is perhaps a more accurate phrase, and how she felt she had no way of escaping him. I had no way out, she would later tell authorities. Her will had been totally subjected to his. As a defense attorney would later tell a jury, she had been under the overwhelming, irresistible spell of her father. By the time she'd finished talking, Agnes had implicated her father and herself in five homicides, all members of their own family. The body parts that would later be pulled from the mud in Pandy's murky basement, the slabs of unidentified meat pulled from his freezer, would offer an even more chilling glimpse into the horror. DNA tests conducted on them would reveal that the bones and teeth and fragments of flesh were indeed human, but did not match any of the missing members of the Pandy family. That, authorities said, meant that there were in all probability other victims. Perhaps they would later speculate that as many as 13 people fell victim in Brussels to Pandy's bloodlust. Some of them, they speculated, might have been innocent women lured from Pandy's home country of Hungary through newspaper ads that I mentioned previously he had placed searching for a date or a bride. Agnes spelled out in graphic detail how she and her father carried out the murders. Her father was unfathomable and mysterious, with a constant smirk, a little smile like Buddha, on his face as they killed their victims. Some were shot, others bludgeoned to death with a sledgehammer. Then they hacked their victims to pieces and stuffed the remains in plastic bags, dumping some at a nearby abattoir, dipping others in vat brimming with 21 litres of cleanest, which is a drain fluid cleanser uh, and acid that ate all the meat from the bones and then they dissolved the bones themselves. Agnes ended up speaking to the authorities over the course of two days, each session lasting several hours about what she had witnessed and what had occurred in the Pandy home the decade before. Andres by this point was now 70 years old and had retired from the church in 1992. The police immediately rushed to Andres's residence to arrest him on suspicion of multiple homicides on the 16th of October 1997, but they only had Agnes's testimony against Andres and no concrete evidence. And so excavations began in the basements of one of Andres's properties in an attempt to locate remains that could verify Agnes's testimony. And what they discovered was unfathomable. They discovered a human skull, two human femurs, a shoulder blade and a pelvis that had been buried in a shallow grave beneath concrete slabs in the basement. A warrant for the excavation of the basements of Andres's two other properties in Belgium were then ordered. In the other properties, as previously mentioned, they discovered frozen human flesh in a freezer and traces of blood splatters on the walls. Andres was then charged with six counts of homicide for all of his missing family members. 
The charge was for the murder of two former wives and four out of eight of his children. But the police, as I mentioned, suspected that there might very well be more victims. Andrus, upon his arrest, was placed in solitary confinement as the investigation continued. And it was also determined that the letters and telegram that Andrus had shown to the police when they had previously questioned him had been faked. Connections then began to be drawn between Andrus and several missing women in Hungary. All these missing women had disappeared in the area close to where Andrus owned a property, and we know that he frequently travels to Hungary. Locals reveals the authorities in Hungary that Andrus had a bit of a reputation for seducing local women and offering to take them to Brussels with him, and some of those women accepted his offer only to never return. The Belgian and Hungarian police forces then joins their efforts in uncovering the truth. Two sisters from the same town that Andrus owned property in Hungary came forward to the police with some very important information. They had both been seduced by Andrus and had both accepted his offer to go to Belgium with him. I believe they had done this at different points, but they both had the hopes that they might one day become his wife. But when they arrived in Brussels, Andrus locked them in his home and forced them to cook and clean for him. He apparently told these women that even if they tried to escape, nobody would be able to understand what they were saying as they only knew Hungarian and nobody in the local area knew that language. Andrus eventually proposed to each of these women, but was actually rejected by both of them. And surprisingly, after they requested to go back home to Hungary, he let them go free. Now the trial in this case was pretty strange. Andreas showed no remorse at all for what he had done. The prosecution had forensics experts use body parts harvested from a deceased male who had donated his body to science after death to demonstrate whether the cleanest acid could dissolve the remains as Agnes had described. They videotaped this experiment and when they showed it to the court, it showed that the remains dissolved just as Agnes had described. Andrus watched the videotape as it played in court completely expressionless, while jurors turned away due to the graphic nature of the tapes. Even Agnes averted her eyes and seemed uncomfortable. Also during this trial, it was revealed that the Romanian children that had been sent to be fostered to Andrus's organization called YDNAP, which is actually just his surname Pandy backwards, had also disappeared. It's unknown how many children exactly ended up in his care and what actually ended up happening to them, but it's believed by the authorities that Andrus was responsible for their disappearance. A further missing persons case was also linked to Andrus. The 12-year-old daughter of a woman that Andrus had dated had mysteriously disappeared without a trace. Though, as there were no remains or evidence that placed the 12-year-old at any of Andrus's houses, they were unable to charge him for it. Another twist in this case came when the authorities revealed that Andrus Pandey may not actually be who he says he is. They suspected that Andrus might have actually been his younger brother, who had allegedly died in 1956, the very same year that Andrus had fled Hungary to Belgium. The Hungarian police force searched interconnecting basements in Andrus's former family home, but they were unable to find any evidence to support the theory. 
but they were also unable to find a gravestone or burial location for Andres's younger brother. When Andres took the witness stand in the courtroom, he also made some very strange claims. Despite the copious amounts of evidence against him, he told the courts that the trial was a witch hunt against him, and he told the jury that his missing family members were actually alive and well. He claims that he was in contact with them through angels. And according to Wikipedia, when asked why the missing family members couldn't be traced during the four-year investigation leading up to the trial, he told the jury that it is up to justice to prove they are dead. When I'm free again, they will come and visit me. It's important to note that Agnes was also arrested and charged with playing an active role in the murders of her stepmothers and four siblings. It was also revealed in Andres's trial that he had actually recruited two girls and a boy on several occasions on his trips to Hungary to impersonate his missing children. He took the children on family visits to relatives and friends in Hungary, these relatives and friends not having seen his children before, and then he told his relatives and friends to write letters and send them to his house to say that they had seen the children. He started doing this in 1992 when Agnes had reported him to the authorities and kept doing it over several years to try and prove and have this evidence that they were still alive even though he'd murdered them. He had told these children that it was a rehearsal for a part in a movie about his life. The police managed to track down two of these children, who testifies that he had told them to pretend to be the missing children. In the police's excavations of Andres's properties, they also uncovered numerous sets of teeth, and when they were forensically examined, they were determined to have been from seven different women, all aged between 35 and 55, and there were teeth from a man who was aged between 18 and 23. None of these victims were related to Andrus. None of them were the remains of any of his family members. This further added to the suspicion that he had brought women from Hungary to Belgium with the promise of marriage before murdering them. On the 6th of March 2002, the courts reached its verdict. They found Andrus Pandi to be guilty on six counts of homicide. He was convicted for murdering six family members and dissolving their bodies in chemical drain cleaner and was sentenced to life in prison. It's important to note that a Belgian life prison sentence isn't really a life sentence. Inmates who receive a life prison sentence and who have no previous convictions prior or had a previous conviction that was less than three years were actually eligible for parole after serving just 15 years. Though of course the parole board has to accept an inmate's parole application and if the parole board rejects an application an inmate can reapply for parole continuously every year. But fortunately in this case Andres's sentence was the absolute maximum penalty, life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Agnes was also found guilty for her involvement in the five murders, not all six of the murders, and was also found guilty on a charge of attempted murder. She was sentenced to 21 years in prison for her crimes. Prosecutors had actually requested a higher 29-year prison sentence for her involvement in the murders, but her defence team pushed the judge for leniency, stating that Agnes had been under the overwhelmingly irresistible spell of a father who was raping her, as he coerced her into collaborating in the killings of her mother and siblings. 
I had no way out. I was completely in his grip, Agnes said in her closing statements. Agnes's defense team throughout the trial asked the jury to keep in mind that Agnes was not only a culprit in the murders, but also was a victim who had spent 32 years of her life living under her father's threatening reign. Interestingly, five members of the jury actually voted for Agnes to be acquitted of all charges, but the court's ultimate decision was the 21 years imprisonment. Agnes was 44 years old when she was sentenced in 2002, and will be 65 years old when she is released in 2023, which is three years from when I'm recording this episode. Andres was 74 years old when he was sent to prison, and actually suffered from numerous health conditions, which saw him move to a prison that could provide better medical services for those conditions. When he turned 80 in the year 2007, the board at the prison he was uh, an inmate at considered rehousing him in a retirement home, but I don't believe anything ever came of that. Regardless, on the 23rd of December 2013, Andres Pandy, one of Belgium's most brutal and horrific serial killers, kicked the buckets and died from natural causes. An easy way out for a man who was evil through and through. He was a man who preached love and the word of God, but he was truly engulfed by Satan. I hope the families and friends of the victims in this case have found some justice in the sentencing and Andres's death, though I imagine they would have hoped he rotted in prison for much, much longer for his crimes. His crimes were, in fact, eerily similar to the crimes of Marx are true, but I couldn't distinguish whether there were, in fact, any links between them. If you haven't seen my three-part series covering the Marx are true case, then you can find a link to it in the iCards above, or just search Marx are true part one on YouTube and it will come up. The Marx are true series was one that I was very nervous to discuss, and one that I kind of had to cut short a little bit because I began to get very paranoid about what I was talking about especially considering the fact that many people have found and drawn links between Mark DeTrue and Jeffrey Epstein. And that's everything I have for you in today's case. Sound off in the comments section below with your thoughts on this case. It is a particularly difficult case to watch and learn about. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post a brand new Curious Case episode. Follow me over on my social media, my handles on Twitter and Instagram are both at It's Joshua Miles. My next Curious Case episode will be coming out on Sunday at 9pm UK time, so stay tuned for that. Many of you have been asking actually about my makeup or skincare routine, so I'm debating making a video on that topic over on my second channel pretty soon, if that's something you're actually interested in seeing and actually want to see. You can find a link to subscribe to my second channel down in the description below. Let me know in the comments anything else you might want to see on the second channel, whether you want to see this makeup and skincare routine. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case.
Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.